Yo, uh, to your point, Jahan, in this in the Hello World, uh, in the liner notes, one of the writers says that Mike is the most famous black child ever, period. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's true. Who's a yeah, more famous definitely. black child than Mike was at that point? Jesus. 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 Jahan, I'll say the same thing. Exactly. That's right. Besides Jesus, <laughs> yeah. Jesus notwithstanding. Yeah. Who who other than Jesus? It's Mike. She won't You probably Welcome to the B side. Scoop, Isaac, Jahan, Arthur, the music snobs. This is episode 28 of the Music Snobs podcast. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and I'm joined as always by my co-hosts, Scoop, Isaac, and Jahan. We're dedicating this episode to the king, Michael Jackson, who passed away five years ago at the age of 50. And there's been a lot of discussion about Michael and his music in the years since he's left us. But this is the Music Snobs podcast. And that means that we're going to talk about what made Michael, Michael. So... Let's get started. All right. Of the pop 80s holy trinity, let's say it's Michael Jackson, Madonna, and Prince. Mike was the only one that was famous as a child. So how crucial was the Jackson 5 to creating the Michael Jackson that became the solo icon that we know? All right. Could could Michael have become Michael without J5? He couldn't couldn't become Michael without, I'll say it without Joe Jackson. No, he couldn't have become it. That's what I was going to ask. Do you mean without his experiences during the Jackson 5? That's exactly yeah. what I'm saying. You know, from 69 to 75, yeah. you mean his right. experiences yeah. during it? Right. That's what I'm saying. So we're talking about the, the group themselves. We're talking about the cartoon. We're talking about the variety show. The entire mm-hmm. experience. The entire experience of the Jackson 5 machine. Mm-hmm. Like, I, 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 don't, I, I honestly don't know if Michael Jackson has a high school diploma. Yeah, I mean a lot of artists don't, but I, I think he had a tutor. No, known. He, he did have a tutor. He did have a private tutor. Well, yeah, but time, I mean, I you know, there's still a curriculum and levels and everything. But I mean, what I'm getting to say is that you know his entire experience has been the spotlight, has been the stage. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I don't. Is I, that kind of training, conditioning? Well, specifically with him being in Motown and having to watch what he saw and having to hold up to that. That's the one reason I think I'm, I'm, I kind of side with how Joe handled this situation because he was dealing with kids in an adult world. Right. And he's trying to maintain some relevancy at a record label where you had stars. The, the Jacksons could not be a Smokey, kid. Right. Marvin. The Temps. Everybody. Diana. All, right. All, so Joe is in the mind. I'm the only one dealing with kids here. And I have to maintain relevancy for record sales, for audience sales, for ticket prices, for performance. I can't treat them like kids. We're in a grown we're we're in a grown folks game, and we're trying to maintain equal footing with everybody up here. Michael being a kid and seeing from eight years old to what he saw to the time he turned twenty, being inside of that Jackson Five, being that group that was part of the Motown Review, going on tour, going on stage, seeing the rehearsals, seeing everything. Without that, no, I don't think he ever would have been Michael Jackson because he wouldn't have seen everything. He wouldn't have been a part of that. Not even as a as a as an individual. 
because I don't think I, I think the group surrounding helped him, and, and he looked at things differently because he wasn't on the island all by himself. Could you imagine him being ten years old out there by himself trying to hang with that? He, he would he it would have swallowed him. To me, it would have swallowed him up. Mm -hmm. You know, Jackie being ten or fifteen years older than him. You know, Tito being in him. I think that gave him the the luxury that he would not have had as a solo artist to really come through the Motown situation almost almost unscathed. Well, unscathed, I don't know. Mm, you want to try that without that? Well, well, let, uh, let the whole business swallow him up, and he never would have been to Michael Jackson. When well, I no, say I mean, unscathed, maybe, I mean, maybe, he still maintained maybe himself as an artist. Hairs, but I'm saying, you know, Michael went to his dying day, you know, swearing that he never had a childhood. So in that regard, I'm, I'm saying about, I'm that's, about a, that's a that's unscathed as an artist. Unscathed as an artist. I have a slightly different point of view. I think he had a huge amount of natural talent. We all know that from day one, at eight years old, he was probably more talented than 99% of adults who have a recording contract today. But that aside, he could have been out of the spotlight all of that time, developing, whether it's on small shows on the Chitlin circuit or like they started, or just doing talent shows, etc. like so many other young people are doing today. He could have just, you know, kept it out of the mainstream spotlight and he could have still become the Michael Jackson. His talent, you know, when, when you've got that superhuman alien talent, it's too bright. It's too bright. It's going to come out. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure that in terms of a musical standpoint, in terms of performance, of course, just that every single day performing at that level with that amount of spotlight on you, you're going to get better. You're going to get, you know, pressure is intense and you learn to deal with it, etc. And he dealt with it differently maybe to a lot of other people. But I almost think that in some ways he became Michael Jackson in spite of his time with the Jackson 5. In spite of having, you know, like Arthur said, he sort of went went to his grave saying that he had a, he had no childhood. You know, I I, I want to say I agree with everything John just said because, and I want to tie it to what you said, Scoop, originally, because a lot of this comes to well, let me say, I think that if it weren't for the Jackson Five, Michael would have still became the huge icon that he became. His story would have been different though. His music would have been different. You know what I'm saying? But mm -hmm. like Jahan just said, when you have that type, when you're touched like he was touched, something's gonna happen. You know what I'm saying? Well, I don't, you know, mm -hmm. so I think he still would have became the, because we're talking about arguably the most famous person in the 20th century. You know, we can bring in Ali, we can bring in, uh, you know, Jordan, we can bring in going back to Charlie Chaplin, we can bring in, you know, other people. But from an entertainment standpoint, if you say Mike is the most famous person in the 20th century, that's, you know, people may argue with you, but it's argument to be had. So that was going to happen to me either way. But I think his story would have changed had he not sprang from that Jackson 5 background. But I think to bring this back what you said what you said originally, Scoop, a huge part of this is really asking, would Michael have become Michael without Joe Jackson? Because when we look at those three other, you know, those other two in the in the uh, Holy Trinity, we look at Madonna, we look at Prince, 
Prince started out, you know, emulating his father musically and then split, you know, had an emotional split from his father and became Prince, you know, artist, music, you know, superstar without his father. Madonna, in spite of Madonna, um, from what I understand, I'm not as versed on her history, but she had a tumultuous relationship with her father, uh, from what I remember. And so I wonder, had Mike been in those same circumstances and had that split from his father and kind of went out on his own in his late teens or early 20s to really explore music you know as an artist you know as trying to become a superstar how would that have changed him that's to me that's that's almost like uh you know the what if segment the greatest what if of all time you know what i'm saying like i would love to have seen i don't know not to change my man's story but i would love to visit an alternate universe and just see what that would look like i think it's a great point but i think we're also dealing with the time factor and the era uh, Prince and Madonna, because they were successful in the 80s, they came up a lot later than Michael did. So I don't know, if, True. given True. that time factor of the 60s, early, you know, late 60s, early 70s, mm. how they would have played out for him as a child. What do you mean? Maybe, I'm thinking of maybe Frankie Lyman. I'm thinking somebody yeah, no, young no, no, that no, broke I'm, away. I'm thinking, right. you know, what I'm saying is that you can do that in the 80s. You know, late 70s. Late 70s you know, right. you but that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm picturing saying, Mike not as a child coming out. I'm saying as a late teen, early 20s, and the late 70s, making his debut as a, you know, to the world. You know, so let's say we didn't even yeah. hear him. Prince was what, 19, 20, you yeah. know what I'm saying, when we first really heard of him. Right. So if that's Mike, you know, 19, 20, this is the first time we're hearing of him. Like Jahan said, he's been maturing, maybe doing, you know, little mm-hmm. concerts or whatever here and there. It just how comes does out that, the box. Right. right. How does you. that, how does that look? And to, you know, to Jahan's point, I just, I feel that um, Michael, you know, in spite of the Jackson 5, he became Michael. Really, the turning point to me was, again, the turning point for the world was the Motown 25 thing. When he did the thing with his brothers and then he said, you know, boom, 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 I like the new songs. And he was out there by himself. We had seen Mike by himself before. You know what I'm saying? He had done done albums by himself. But that was like the separation. And to me, it's like, what if that was the first time we really saw Mike? The only thing I'd say is... For, may, and maybe this is maybe this is a sort of London thing or even smaller a Jahan thing. I, I became aware of Michael Jackson first, and then mm. the Jacksons and mm-hmm. Jackson Five. That's that's your age. And for me, I became aware of the Jacksons. The first the first you know like memory I have of anything Michael Jackson was Destiny. When did I drop? Like 78, oh, 78. 78, 79. And I was you know this is I was I don't know four or five years old. I'm just like just seeing this album. Them on top of the the huge letters. So yeah. I feel you, John. When I, my first awareness of Michael Jackson was the Jacksons, not the Jackson Five. Damn shame. I remember the ABC Forty Five. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what though? I remember you like remember I Steel Town recording. Yeah, I'm like I'm kind of in the middle of, of Scoop and Isaac because I had a sister. I have a sister that's ten years older than me. So Michael Jackson was just present. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, my brother's four years older than me. I agree with Isaac um, relating to uh, Motown Twenty Five, relating to the Moonwalk. But I see that more as a coming out where Michael, that was Michael's coming out moment, declaring himself that this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm about. But I think the transformation happened, happened earlier. I think the transformation happened when the Jackson five left Motown, went to Epic, Epic. but Jermaine stayed Stayed. behind, you know, Tito notwithstanding, but I think that Jermaine had a lot more talent than Tito, but just not as much talent 
performance wise as Michael. Mm-hmm. You Mar- see what I'm saying? Marlon had the performance talent. Yeah, Marvin talent. Had, yeah. Marlon and, had and the, the dance talent. talent. Right, no doubt about it. Because Jermaine had a solo career, a successful yeah. so, solo career thought, in his own right. Jermaine was a much better, better bass player than he was a singer, but he so desperately wanted to sing. Right, and and he had a production. Yeah, he did career mm-hmm. too. But I'm saying because Michael could no longer contractually work with his brother, mm-hmm. Michael had to. I think he felt more of the weight of carrying his brothers. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and I'm sure there was some, you know, heavy parental help your brother kind of thing happening, you know, at home. But I'm saying that I think I think what set Michael to be Michael was that departure that of, of going from Motown to Epic, can't work with Jermaine anymore. I gotta figure out what I'm gonna See, do. It's funny because I look at it, I I you're two hundred percent right, but I look at that being different and my thing is that the movie The Wiz. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think he was cool because they went from the Jackson 5, broke off and went to Epic. And I think Michael, but Michael had done solo records before they even went over to Epic. Right. So he already had in mind what it felt like to do solo, but he was so like hell bent on trying to make the Jacksons work and trying to be not the kitty pop group and him doing it with his brothers. But I think it reached a point when they did The Wiz and he finally got with Quincy Jones. That's where the thing started. But that was post-Destiny. And mm-hmm. Destiny was when they were writing their own material. I know, but that's what I'm saying. I'm talking about Michael breaking out and really thinking on his own. I stick at the, at the same time. Do, even during Destiny, he was still thinking mm-hmm. group. He was still thinking group. But when he got away to do that movie, mm-hmm. no brothers around him, nothing. And he and Donna Ross and Quincy Jones building this whole thing. With him, like, really, like, Quincy, I have an idea. I'm trying to, like, can you help me do this? That's when I look at the break when he's like, okay. And I think Quincy may not have necessarily laid the framework, but he gave Mike the confidence mm-hmm. musically mm-hmm. that I don't think he ever had before because they worked so in sync together. So by the time Motown 25 came around, he was good. He had been in the studio with Quincy for two years building off the wall, and then they did three. Oh, I'm good now. So mm-hmm. I look at that moment So it moment was time to announce to the world, though. Right. But he, he was, there was a confidence there that I don't think he would have had, and I think it started on the set of The Wiz when he and Quincy started locking up. You know, I, I think that this comes down, this question about would Mike be Mike, you know, if it weren't for J5, I think that it comes down to two parts. We're looking at, okay, would he be Mike as an artist, you know, but then, which we've been talking about, but then also it's like, would he be Mike to us, meaning within the culture? And I have to say no, because mm-hmm. when I think, because even though my awareness of Mike, like I just said, was, you know, my first awareness as a, as a very young uh, child was the Jacksons when I looked back you know I started looking back at the you know the the other albums and stuff you see a kid you know my my the mythology of Michael Jackson is inherently tied to him as a young boy all the way up until his death so we saw him grow up and the thing about Michael Jackson as a child doing ABC and all those other songs he looked just like you you know what I'm saying? It wasn't the exotic look of the of the 80s, you know what I'm saying, of uh, of him or Prince or some of these other artists. Mike, look, he had, you would look at a picture and be like, I got that sweater. You know what I'm saying? Or I, I had those pants too. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Because right, exactly. he looked like the boy who lived down the street from you. He's just cuter than everybody else. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> that to me, you know, that was a sense of, of, of connection and, that lasted all the way up. And that's what made it so painful for right. us when he started to change. Well, let me tell you something. As being older, though, I don't want to cut you off on what you're going, but I want to say something that's, that's, that's integral to what you're saying that you're not, that I just have to be old enough to experience, is that at the time when he was growing up, Michael had damn near his own magazine. And see, part of the Michael Jackson story that people forget is Right On Magazine. And Right On Magazine was enormous because mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. month or every week they sent the horn to put it out. It was all about Michael. So we had an identity beyond his music yeah. of him as an icon that played a huge role 
of him being a kid. Right. So he was not just listening to every music. He had posters, new posters of Michael Jackson yeah. sold every damn week. And these were dudes and girls. Right. You know what I'm saying? Dudes, cats too hard to do this now. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see, you know, a chance to rap a post on somebody. You're not going to see that up there. But back then, mm-hmm. hard, hard dudes that were in gangs had Michael Jackson <laughs> posters on their wall. And a lot of that was because of Right On Magazine and the role it played by doing exactly what Isaac said. You grew up listening to Mike, but from my standpoint, it was an ex- you experienced growing up with him. Right. right. And I, I it think was a total experience. So much so that the Caucasian community had to create the Osmond. Exactly. As a counter. Exactly. As a direct counter. Child for child. Child for child, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They found some Mormons and like, yo, yeah. if y'all can sing. Hey, but yeah, to, to kind of agree with everything you guys said, we were talking about before we started uh, recording this collection, Michael Jackson, Hello World, the Motown solo mm. collection. Um, and I was Amazing. What a beautiful book. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we were leafing through it before we started recording. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, looking at these images... It's again, it's like, you know, you feel a connection towards Mike that to me, yeah. if this didn't happen, you know what I'm saying? If this whole J5 thing didn't happen and the first time we saw Mike was when he was 19 or 20 years old, mm-hmm. he loses an enormous part of his mythology. And it's not the same. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm not mm-hmm. saying he wouldn't read the musical musical heights that he did, mm-hmm. but there's, mm-hmm. you can't divorce that from, you know, the moment that I heard when Mike, when I heard Mike died, I told somebody else this and then I saw a whole bunch of people say the same thing on Twitter. It felt like a part of my childhood. Oh, of course. You know what I'm saying? Because it was just like a huge like loss. And without that J5, that doesn't happen. album that Stevie Wonder produced for the Jackson 5 had actually been released in 1975 by Motown. So that's after Dance Machine. Well, I would buy it. <laughs> that would be the first thing. <laughs> a little background, though, for the, for, the, for the listeners. This is an album that Stevie did produce and it never was released. Nah, but it's an album that was he was supposed, supposed to do. Supposed and to. It just didn't happen. Now, I've heard it two ways. I've heard it, I've heard it as a complete project that was shelved, but I've heard it within the context of a Michael Jackson solo album. Yeah. And I've heard I've heard it in the context of sessions that he did with Jackson Five in the vein of how they sang back up on You Haven't Done Nothing on mm-hmm. Feelings is first Because it all mm-hmm. happens in the same in the same period. So we don't know whether this album is. There's one track that's been released. There's one right? track there's... that's been released called Buttercup as evidence as, as evidence of these sessions. And that was actually written for Michael, apparently. And who knows? I mean, it's it's very difficult to say. You know, if we romanticize it, one would love to think that Stevie and Mike would have had a very strong relationship and a strong connection and that Stevie, you know, would have actively mentored Mike and, um, and, and you know, maybe maybe they'd have worked together more. But um, I don't think that the direction or the um, trajectory of his career or the Jackson 5's career 
would necessarily have been altered just because of just because of that one album. So a because bit- the, the track that we've heard, it's still, you know, it's beautiful, but it's not fulfilling this first finale, Stevie. It's you know, it's 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 my Sharia more, Stevie, in terms of tone. There's a chance for everybody, so I took my chance on loving. I've got a different view because I really do think that that had this happened, the trajectory would have changed. This would have been uh, after Dancing Machine, which was a number one hit. And they had, and they did not have in in the real world. They did not have a number one hit until after they left Motown, and did uh, Enjoy Yourself. Mm-hmm. So I believe that a Stevie Wonder produced Jackson Five album. And granted, my Cherie Amour type music, but this is still Stevie in his genius phase. So he's coming at this at a at a different time than than he would have been when he was making my Sharia more you, you know what I'm saying he's more mature mm-hmm. right so I believe it would have been successful enough that the Jackson 5 would have stayed on Motown not have gone to Epic and not have become the Jacksons so I'm saying Thriller might not have happened See, now I, this is interesting well here's what I think I'll take it another level I, from the non-Jackson standpoint knowing what Michael brought to the table and Stevie knowing Michael the way he is and, and talent recognizing talent and Stevie's gonna put He's not going to put out a Michael Jackson solo album that isn't going to be there. My thing is beyond the Jacksons, I'm not sure songs of the key of life would have been songs of the key of life if he's working on Michael's album at the same time. There's only so much genius you can get out of one person. Right. You think some of that? Right. You think some of those songs end up with Mike, or are you just saying that some I, of those songs? I, don't I, but happen? it's only I don't know. Look, songs of the key of life. That's a that's a lot of work for one man to creatively come up with. Mm-hmm. You're asking him, and, and we're talking about in the same time frame because mm-hmm. this is right. after right. This, this is, is right, after fulfilling. This is after fulfilling. So the next album that Stevie dropped was in '76 with songs of the key of life that he'd been working if on through '74 and '75. Michael's album in between there. I don't know if you have enough left over to still make songs. Now, hold, songs. hold on, let me ask you though. You say if you put Michael's album in between that, are we? Are we? Because we just established that we don't know if Stevie actually did this album and just did. We don't know. We, we just what matters if he project. did in '75. He know, saved it the we, date. We know that there's a song. We know that. Well, we, we know, know there's more than that. We, we know that there's more than that. We so know. It, I mean, I've got names of several songs. There's on Michael Jackson forums for years. There have been names floating around like you're supposed to keep your love for me, a pretty face, um, no news is good news, the future, um, if I can't, nobody can, and of course, Buttercup. Now, only Buttercup these are some, made it these out. These are some there. hardcore sounding songs. <laughs> if I can't, nobody can. I saw in some forum an article from that period. Yeah, I saw it too. Yeah, and it, it's got the picture of Mike, you know, looking over in Stevie. In the studio with Steve, right? They've got very, very clear details in it. Like, you know, we're at the record plant with Stevie and Michael. And they were saying that Stevie was going to produce an album for Michael and these songs were going to be for Michael. And then after he did that, he was going to do one for Jermaine. Right. Perhaps the interesting answer here is 
Mike's solo career would have jumped off, Mike's adult solo career might have jumped off earlier and in a very different way. See, I don't think Thriller happens. And I don't think think Quincy happens. happens, Like songs happens. But but Scudo, if he did the album and just it wasn't released, songs did happen. So if he actually recorded this album and we just have never heard it, then maybe that album helped Stevie get to songs. You see what I'm saying? Maybe that helped him work out some stuff for songs. Maybe. I just don't see me, myself, without knowing the exact thing. I'm answering the question from the information that we have. And if we're being speculative on whether it was recorded or not or how much was done or whatever... We don't know for sure if there's any finished product. So the stuff that he had recorded, they may not have liked. He may have had to go back in. I'm just looking at it from the creative process. You're asking one man at this particular time to do something, to have a number one solo album for Michael Jackson and back that up with one of the greatest albums, double albums of all time. But I'm it's saying, possible, though. I mean, it's possible because it's Stevie. It's, it's talking book, intervisions, fulfillments, and songs. I mean, Prince did the but, same thing. That yeah, guy did the same thing. That's what I was just about to say. He might have been overflowing at that time and needed another outlet, you know what I'm saying, for uh, all that genius. Look, no disrespect, but I'm just, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I, and I'm not saying anything bad about Prince. I mean, I get Prince. what you're saying. I'm not I get saying anything bad about Prince, but we're talking about songs. I'm, I'm with you. And this isn't talking book. This isn't interview. This is song. This is the double album. I'm saying this is a lot of work for one man to come up and still reach the level of Michael Jackson. Prince did not work with anybody during the time of his career that's at the level of the pressure he had to do with Michael Jackson. The pressure for him to produce something at Michael Jackson level? Michael Jackson, 1975 level. And ni- yeah, 1975, not, not, Mike, not 1985. Michael. I don't make a difference. Still, Mike, y'all forgetting, y'all, y'all really, I mean, you want to about how big the Michael the yeah, no, no, Jackson 5 I'm not, was? I'm not, I'm not saying he wasn't big, but I'm saying he wasn't 85. I'm just Mike. saying, he, he, it I'm, wasn't like Jermaine, ni- it wasn't like uh, Teddy no. Riley, the pressure Teddy Riley had. <laughs> right, I'm saying, still, I'm saying, listen to what I'm saying. At no point can I just get did clear, Prince though? during his run. Yeah, yeah, hang on, Jay. Let me get Jay in. Can I, I just want to get clear. So I'm not. Scoop saying Songs in the Key of Life doesn't get made. No. And Arthur's you, saying I, Thriller listen, doesn't get stop. made. stop. Jahan, stop. Stop. <laughs> listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth. I didn't say it wouldn't have gotten made. I said it may not have become songs. It may not have reached the level of being one of the greatest album ever because there's only so much creed. Of course it would have gotten made. I'm just not sure may, that... But no, hang on. You're saying it doesn't get made in its in the configuration never, that we receive it. Is he, that he's, what saying, he's saying Stevie might have ran out of gas. What, what yeah, are yeah, the words yeah. coming out of your mouth? I'm not clear what they are. 
I'm, I'm listening to them. I'm not understanding them. There's a difference. That's so, on you. On. So hang on. Everybody hang else on, is understanding on. what I'm saying except you. That's okay, on you. All right. You. All right. Scoop. Um, Scoop, you, you be quiet for a second. Arthur and Isaac, you tell me what Scoop is trying to say. Yo, that's the second time you told us to shut the fuck up today. I told you he's in diva mode. It don't mode. matter how polite you say it, my man. Okay, he's, he, he, he's not drilling it down that, that far. What, what Scoop is saying is that if, if Stevie Wonder is, is producing a project for Michael Jackson, that's a lot to ask for on Stevie Wonder. That's a lot to ask for to have to, to make an album that's like the one of the greatest albums of all time, Songs in the Key of Life. Does Stevie have enough left in the tank if he's really trying to do a full Michael Jackson product? Because Stevie's not going to uh, bullshit a Michael Jackson project. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. I agree. Scoop. Thank you. <laughs> Scoop, apologies for not understanding. That's a very, very good point for every, for almost every artist alive, except for Stevie Wonder. Because look at what the guy was churning out at that time. He was churning out classic after classic of, you know, there's no, there's no weakness involved in anything. He had, he had hits to spare, you know. He might have dried up later, might but have dried had, up later. We but can they argue hit it. for himself. You know what I'm saying? No, I but think point, no, but I hear you. But what I'm trying to say, though, is I think the guy could have spared... You know, he might not have had to, you know, he, we say he was producing the album. We don't, we, he may not necessarily have been writing every track. They may have been doing some cover versions, you know, as was appropriate at that time for an artist like Michael Jackson or the Jackson 5. But point being is he may have, he may have co-written the songs. He may have, I just think he had it in the tank. You know, someone like Stevie's got it in the tank. And also the songs that he would give Michael, they're not necessarily the same songs that he would have given uh, himself. Just like the songs he gave Cyrita or Minnie weren't always the songs that he would do himself. I agree with that point, Jay, but just to advocate what Scoop was, the point Scoop was making is that from a creative, just the energy, the creative energy, you know what I'm saying? It's like, would Stevie have had enough at that point in time? You know, personally, I agree with you. I think that... It's Stevie Wonder we're talking about here, guys. Yeah, exactly. I know, and I say, if anybody What he was turning out at that time, the answer is yes, he would have... Anyone else, I would agree with you, Scoop. Anyone else. But bottom line, you know what? If... If the answer to me though is if this drops in 1975, it great. I, I agree with Arthur. I don't know if the Jackson Five leave Motown. They may have stayed with Motown. Jacksons comes out on Motown. That changes everything. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Does Michael still go solo? I say yes. Does he go to Quincy Jones? You know, eventually. I don't know. Oh, because Barry might have. Barry Gordy may have said no. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. This is a big yeah. change, big fork yeah, in the road. Enough, so to me, yeah, this may have changed everything had it happened. All right, let's move on. That was a good one. Man in the Mirror. Is Michael Jackson the epitome of the black male identity crisis of the 1980s? Now, does anybody want to contextualize the black male's identity Isaac, crisis in the 1980s? Isaac's that's Isaac's lady. No, all you guys day. said this was my this was <laughs> my original Isaac's topic. Baby. I don't remember. I, I don't remember ever putting this. I put this out there. Yeah, yeah it was yeah, like we were like, wow, that's a great that topic. You. This is all you. This is you. Okay, I think I think that the the impetus behind this was just the fact that if you look at Mike's where Mike started at in '81, or actually let's let's it's '79 when off the wall drops, but let's say let's say let's call it '80, and then you look at where he ended at by '90. And you look at that arc, you know, of where he started at off the wall, you know, very urban, you know, black culture, blackout is a blackout. You know what I'm saying? It was like it was it was it was his it was 1999 for him. You know what I'm saying? And then came Thriller, which was the much more mainstream album. But if you look at where he ended, you know, what I'm saying in 1990, 
And you look at what happened in that time period with hip hop, the emergence of hip hop and the black male, the quote unquote black male identity. I put quotes around it because you should always put quotes around that statement. Black male identity and what was, you know, supposedly represented black masculinity. Man, Mike was in exact, you know, contrast with that. You know what I'm saying? He was like, he was almost, he almost became a dinosaur by the end of that, that decade. Um, and these, you know, MCs and B-boys, although still love Mike, I can't, I don't think you would ever find an MC that would, that would diss Mike, which was amazing. And wouldn't diss Prince either, come, now that I come to think of it. They, you, respect, you respect greatness. Right. Whether you but agree with it or not, you have to respect it. They went from dressing like Mike around a thriller, you know, era to dressing the complete opposite of Mike and looking the complete opposite of Mike by the time you get to 1990. Dr. Dre is a classic example that when he was in the oh, Wrecking Crew, he's a classic crew. example. Right. Exactly. When he was in the Wrecking Crew. Had the crew. eyeliner and everything. Eyeliner just Jay like Mike. Curl. Yep. I just think that if you look at that crisis, if you want to label it a crisis of that decade, you can look at Mike and see a lot of us of our angst was centered around that. You know, when his skin started lightening, that was like a major point of controversy, yeah. you know what I'm saying, during that decade. And yeah, I think it was, straighter. and then when he came out with a black, you know, it doesn't matter if you black or white, all those things, you know. It looks like hair getting straighter, nose getting thinner, you know, it's, it's, it, I didn't it's, even want to believe it. If you look at, if you look at the bad video, the, you know, the 20 minute or whatever preamble shot by Scorsese with him and, uh, between Mike and, 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 uh, Wesley Snipes and the crew, a lot of it was caught up right there. You know what I'm saying? Although in that context, it was centered around him going off to boarding school, hanging around with a bunch of white kids and then come back to the hood. I really think, you know, you can also take it out of that context and just put it in that whole masculinity thing. And Mike's perception to me was off at that point because he's going up against his boys, you know, trying to say, no, this is, you know, I'm still who I am. But then by the end of the video, he's proclaiming, okay, you want to see bad, I'll show you bad. And it was the exact opposite of what was considered bad at that point. And bad at that. What, what year was that? 1980. What year was that? 77. 87. By 87, bad was not leotards and, but, you know, whatever the, the hell my But here's the beauty on. in what you're saying. I'm finished, but here's the beauty in what you're saying. At the exact same time, just you talk about the hip hop thing. LL's bad was out too. There's your polar. You have two oh, yeah. songs right. with the exact same name. And given an identity of what bad is at the exact same Button time. Head. So they, right. Button heads right there. So, yeah. And I, I think that point. Mike, you know, at that point, just watching that video, I mean, even at that young age, I just felt like it was off. Like, dude, that's not that's not bad. You know what I'm saying? It was like that wasn't my perception of bad at that point. And I think that that kind of encapsulated that kind of the duality of these two things kind of butting heads and representing that binary thing of what, what is bad or what is this masculine? What is it supposed to be right now? Mm -hmm. And Mike captured it, you know, and encapsulated much to his, you know, I'm sure he wasn't happy about it. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? I'm sure he was just confused. And why are people saying these things? Why don't they understand this? But he represented it, you know what I'm saying, perfectly. That Even more so than Prince, because Prince was always pretty much comfortable with the high heels. and the, It was like, this is what it is. This is who I am. I'm not, you know, whatever. I think Mike represented more of that, um, that duality. And also because Mike, again, going back to the previous topic, Mike, we saw him as a young boy. He, can, he looked just like us, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So it's like watching him go through what he went through in the 80s, there was a huge personal connection to that. Do you think a part of hip-hop was trying to make itself the alter ego of what Mike had become. I, I get back to the LL thing because it's interesting. You look at you oh, look at the images point. of LL Cool J really and Michael point. Jackson and having the same song with the same title and two videos to look at that if, you, if you're looking at the black male identity mm -hmm. these Almost like are the yin and yang. Two, the, the yin and the yang 
is hip hop basically a reflection of everything that did it build on during the eighties being the exact opposite of what Michael Jackson had yeah, become because musically. In the seventies, when you look at Micah's little boy in the Jackson five, like we said, we could look at that and say, Oh, that's us. Mm. By eighty five, we weren't looking at Mike and saying that's us. Mm. Mike was like he was an alien he from was another something planet. else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, f- I do feel like young black men had a need to assert, like, look, this is what we, this is who we really are. You know what I'm saying? Beca- this is what they, we really it became the like. antithesis, the hardness. Exactly. Right. Okay. Another point, remember when uh, in Beverly Hills Cop, when Eddie Murphy is walking down the street in Beverly Hills and he sees him cast dressed like Mike, Michael Jackson yeah. and he starts laughing. Starts you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. it's like, and he's, but, he's, but he's then he comes like, on stage and do his regular concert <laughs> and dresses just like Michael. Right. But it was like, <laughs> the, the, the thing I got from that is like, real brothers don't walk around the street dressed like that. Right. And it was like, to me, that's again, that push and pull of us trying to decide and we're put in a box. It's like, we can't be both. We have to be one or the other. Right. And so that encapsulated that, like, what, you know, who are we? Are we Mike? Are we LL? Are we, you know what I'm saying? It was, and by the end of the decade, the, the, you know, the hip hop side completely won out. Right. Back in 1901, you go back to uh, W.B. Du Bois, really set the groundwork for this in the duality of black folks. And he said back then that this is the duality we were going to have to live in. Living in America, we're going to have to live in two different worlds. And we're going to have a struggle with that. Living with who we are, at the core but living is trying to assimilate to something that we feel is greater and that's where we that that's where we run into this male identity crisis that at the centerpiece of this is michael jackson to a certain degree being who he was image wise and thought wise as a child and then fighting or almost denying that or doing what he can to deny it. And, and he had an internal struggle of dealing with that. Yeah. I, I mean, he lived that duality with himself. He did. Yes, he did. To, to, to the saddest point for me was when, uh, and I don't know what year this happened, but they reissued Off the Wall with the altered cover. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Off the Wall was originally a gatefold album that the cover was Michael Jackson torso up. And then the back cover of it was what is now the front cover of Off the Wall where you have his torso down right. you just see his the shoes. And Michael personified um, a shame. Mm-hmm. The message was, I'm ashamed of what I looked like before. H- hang on, Arthur, let, I gotta stop. Are you saying that's, who, you're saying the message? Whose message, bro? Whose message was that? He's saying, are you I saying believe- that's, that was Mike's, what Mike was intentionally trying to say, or that's was what that Mike was feeling? Was that the message taken from that? Yeah, was that the that message? That was the message taken from that. That's what I, that's what I internalized. But we don't know who the author of that, you know, we, we don't necessarily know that's how Mike felt. We don't necessarily know if Mike was the one that, that, that you know, authorized or, or called for the changing of the cover. Of the cover but yeah, I mean, yeah. he for damn sure noticed, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody might have yeah. said something to him. <laughs> you know, but there was there was a confidence in Mike. If you look at compare Billy Jean, the video, and compare that to Bad, the video, there yeah. was a confidence in Mike that I think he was very comfortable at that time period in his masculinity, you know, and mm-hmm. who he was as a man. Um from During the, the thriller up, period, you're saying. Right. The thriller period, I'm saying specifically the thriller video, you know, comparing yeah. these two videos. It was yeah. like he was who he was. He wasn't trying to prove anything. 
if even even maybe even the beat it video well the, the beat it video he's trying to he's trying to school people he's got nothing to prove he's trying to teach them right right but, mm -hmm. but also the say 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 video that he did with paul mccartney mm -hmm. and latoya mm -hmm. oh, which now that i think about time. it latoya was his yeah. you know the love interest in there that's kind of creepy a little creepy yeah it's star wars <laughs> true it's luke and laura yeah paul got her at the end all right yeah, of course. In his defense, I mean, there, there, there was the Bigaletto issue. Yeah, absolutely. He had a disease that changed the pigment of his skin. Mm. Postmortem information. He did suffer from it. Yeah. Factually, he did suffer from he really it. Really did. Yeah. Factually. And also the fact that he was burned very badly during the mm -hmm. Pepsi video, the mm -hmm. shooting of the Pepsi commercial. Mm -hmm. Burned his skin, deformed. Mm -hmm. But I mean that he wore hair pieces for the for the duration of his well, life. That started the whole drug issue. Right. Exactly. That began everything. Exactly. Right. It, it, and, it yeah. may, and it very well may have accelerated the physical appearance too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To try to compensate for what what now is is a uh, is destabilization. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, a destabilizing right. of the confidence that you were talking about, Mike being confident in who he is. That's and an it, excellent and, point. And I think it to him a long time. On the skin color point, the poor guy repeatedly said, like throughout his whole life, he said. Look, you know, I suffer from it. It's really severe. It covers a huge portion of my body to the extent that it's more difficult to use makeup to um, cover it than it is to use makeup to cover the unaffected portions of my body. Mm -hmm. So he was saying it's, you know, it's, it's easier and less painful for me to go lighter mm -hmm. than for me to go to go darker and you know you, you, you know heart goes out to him i've seen people with it that they go in real life and it's the, you know it's, it's, not it's, it's so common in in the hood like mm. i don't know about right. it but when i'm when yeah, i'm but, in the but, hood it's like you see it all the I time know, but, but the thing about Mike it is had that he, the money he had the resources but he had the money resources but what he did was he he he, he made it become a problem and made people almost become unsympathetic to it because not only was it the skin change it was the that he could shot. control, it was the nose change, right. it was the straightening of the hair, and all of yeah, a sudden you start lips, right? All that, and then, and then, and then you start denying I'm getting anything done. Yeah. You know, you're getting the eyelids done, and it's like yeah, yeah, now yeah. you have control over. You can't the disease you don't have control over, but everything else you do. So not only is the disease turning you against, you know, outwardly turning you against your culture, but now you're doing things also to help perpetuate that. Right. So he couldn't win. Right. I do feel sorry for him, but he didn't do anything to help himself in that situation, in those situations. But, you know, taking this back to a pure musical context, and I look at, you know, what Mike, the struggle that he represented in the 80s as far as black masculinity, taking that strictly to R&B music, I see what that, what that struggle wrought. Meaning by the time you get to the early 90s, and after, you know, this is, you know, uh, kind of new edition is kind of on their last, you know, their last leg. I think uh, Heartbreak came out in what, 90, 89, 88, 89. So you see that, you know, that to me was the last group, you know, who kind of, and I said this before, encapsulated, you know, very uh, smoothly and without it butting his, the idea of a, you know, smooth R&B type dance plus hip hop, you know, the Bellevue mm -hmm. DeVoe thing. And, mm -hmm. and there was a marriage between those two things that was very cohesive and there wasn't, you know, a lot of, you know, it wasn't a lot of issues with seeing those two things together within that context. By the time you get to the not early nineties with Jodeci, you start to see it, you see it still, but there's still a little bit of like, okay, this is starting to butt heads a little bit, even though it worked for them, you know, the hip hop plus the R&B, they weren't dancing, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So it was like almost R&B groups don't dance now. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. They only really do fast tracks. They were just doing ballads. By the time you leave them and get to the ushers and so on and so forth, they're dancing, but they're trying so hard to be MCs, you know, mm -hmm. that it's like 
taken away from what they're doing as R&B artists. And now you get to 2014 where, where, you know, we talked about this before, where, who, who are our major R&B artists? You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? We don't have any like that mm-hmm. anymore. And I think that you can go back and trace some of those issues all the way back to that 80s struggle of when that war, you know, kind of first started between what is black male masculinity? What is acceptable? You know what I'm saying? For, 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 for black men on the stage. And then we saw how that perpetuated through the 90s to get to where we are now. Has it got to a point where it doesn't have to be, where it doesn't have to be monolithic, that there's not one true definition of that, that mm-hmm. you know, it is more mm-hmm. diverse than just being one certain type of well, black person? To Jay's, to Jay's constant point, I think maybe within hip hop we're seeing that. You know what I'm saying? We're seeing that you know, grow to different, you know, mm-hmm. go different routes. But mm-hmm. within R&B and in the mainstream period, no, I, I think it's still monolithic. It's still either this or that. You know what I'm saying? We really don't have... Um, you know, that diversity within that I saw kind of before in the early 80s. I saw, I mean, dude, Billy Jean, like I said, you look at that video, Mike is, he's not hard, but he's not soft. You know what I'm saying? It's like he's, he can be both at the same time. It's a romantic song, but it's also a very defiant song. And in the video, he's stepping up, the, you know, he's going up the stairs. He's got that attitude, you know what I'm saying? right? He's got that he's attitude, got that but he's also yeah. smooth and sensitive. Yeah, because you know the kid, kid ch- woman trying to blame him right. for, for having twins and saying one of the kids the is kid his. The kid wasn't his son, man. <laughs> the kid wasn't his son. I know, son. I know. <laughs> how, what, you, like, I'm not a doctor, but how does how does that work? Can, can, yeah, know, can right. two dudes have twins with one woman? Is that what? <laughs> right, right, that right. Thing? And only one of them mine? That's what you're trying to say? You <laughs> tried to reprise that, though, in the way you make me feel. Oh yeah, and it didn't. To, I, and it didn't I, to me play personally, well. it didn't. didn't play it, didn't, well. it didn't work. Although I like the song, to me personally, it didn't. You know, it didn't come off right. And I remember the uh, young lady in that video. She's not a young lady now, but I forget her. Whoever that was, yeah. she later talked about how awkward it was because Mike didn't want to kiss her and just, you know, what I'm saying it was kind of like, you know, they had to like make Mike, you know, really grab her and you know. At the you end could of the see video that he didn't kiss her in the video. Yeah. You could see that yeah, they, they were moving her. in different ways. It was, yeah, and this is after you know. And, and this is after Purple Rain where we see Prince Final and Ap- Apollonia. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what's up, Mike? What's the problem? It's a different, yeah. It's a yeah, different you don't, but you know what, though? I, I, I got to tell you, I I see it slightly differently. I think that you may be right. It, it, it may be the epitome of um, the black male identity crisis. But I think if, if when we say it, what is, you know, what is the epitome? I would probably say it's just a commercialization of his music. Because, you know, off the wall he started, mm. off the walls are... Yep, it's a great point. music record. So, yep, you know, there's nothing else about it. Yep, thriller. Okay, it's still, in my opinion, it's still a black music record. It's a little bit more, it's a little bit more accessible, mm. and every single track there will be liked, you know, almost equally by everybody. So it's not, they don't really have the jazzy moments necessarily that you might have had with "I Can't Help It" on "Off the Wall," etc. But it's still a black record. Then you get bad. And Bad is a lot more accessible. It's got, you know, it's got real kind of soulful moments on it. I don't think it's a bad album at all. I think it's a very good album. It's still a black music record. Then you get Dangerous. Dangerous is a black record for the most part. The Teddy Riley joints, you know, the up-tempo joints, etc. They're, mm-hmm. they're club joints. They're club tunes, etc. Now, it got commercialized undeniably between off the wall, across the scale, going down there. And I think if, if you want to say there's you know, rather than the guy's skin color or appearance or confidence in videos, I think perhaps the bigger epitome is just in order to succeed in this society, in Western society, in order to in order to thrive and, you know, knock it out of the box, you have to let go of yourself a little bit. As people of color, we have to sort of change. We have to talk in a slightly different way at work. We have to act in a way that we feel, 
you know, we, that, you know, we're concerned, hang on, is this going to make people uncomfortable, isn't it? We have to talk about certain things and not talk about other things. Mm-hmm. The fact that Mike needed to homogenize in order to get that radio play, in order to get that attention, etc. And, you know, it was his choice. He wanted to go for bigger and bigger numbers every right, time. That's you know, what I was gonna, no, right. one, no one forced him to do it. Right. If there's something that's the epitome, it's that commercialization. I agree with you 200%. Um, but in this particular situation, was it more about him trying to live up to an expectation that had never been set before? Oh, I think that pressure was his, you know. He, yeah. He owned but it. it he but in doing it. that, but in trying to be bigger, you have to, you know what I'm saying? He knew you what have, he have to, to almost no, go no, that route. No, there, no there's no other way to go. Right. He knew. And, you know, Mike, you know, Mike was, you know, I think his actions and his decisions show that he had, you know, despite despite the fact that he may have diluted his sound arguably um you know from from 87 onwards he was abundantly clear i think on the rules of the game you know he he was under no illusions um as to what he had to do you know he he knew what the deal was he he knew how he had to compromise he knew how he had to appeal to people in order to maintain that crossover in, in order to cross over further he knew what he had to do down to the eccentricities of the things that he did also i think i think he also understood that there's right that there's i'm not saying he's that calculating to have staged everything that he did but i think he knew the more eccentric he you know it was perceived that he was yeah the more he people would buy that mystique right exactly exactly and he and he, he i think he knew that the sleep chamber bubbles yeah bubbles yeah all that stuff yeah all that stuff yeah and that mystique is very very marketable and unfortunately for him, he didn't, he, you know, it's ironic. He probably didn't bank on the fact that he would remain the biggest star in the world. And this, you know, some of the stories, some of them that maybe his, his camp or him had created, they just carried on living, you know, they wouldn't mm. die. And if they did die, they came back to haunt him. Right. Yeah. yeah I, I think um, also, and this is kind of off topic, but I just think Mike also started valuing spectacle over the the substance of his music in other words not to you know not to say he didn't value his music but i think that he had to keep doing it bigger it was like you know let's do an hour-long movie for this you know for this like dog i don't want an hour-long movie of you with a bunch of little kids from the suburbs i want to see you know i just want to hear your music you know what i'm saying when butterflies dropped I was floored and I was mad because I'm like, he still got this in the tank. You know what I'm saying? It's right, like, right, right, he right. still has this. Right. It's well, like, And it's so beautiful. It, it's so wonderful. Especially that. when you hear the original and it's like, that, this right, is exactly. a perfect example and, and it, of why Mike it, was Mike. <laughs> you know, you give that song to anybody else, it's a decent song, it's a good song. You give it to Mike and it's magical. All you got to do is walk away and Don't acknowledge my smile When I try to say hello 
it's so wonderful that he could hear something like that and even at you know even at his commercial height he could say yeah i want, I want that oh that song is, is is devastating it's like those i'm like he, it's it's magic it's magic. I, I no, london stand up that's a you know it's a uk song uh, give it floor to love and they they give themselves like they don't drop an album without putting that song on it <laughs> like, they put some type of version of that song in the album. Everything they drop, you know, it's like, hey, y'all remember we did Butterflies? <laughs> All right, let's take it around the table. Anatomy of a Genius. Which one scoop? Which one facet? I got one. <laughs> Damn. Of Michael Jackson. Call though. Would you choose as his defining characteristic? That could be his voice, his dancing, the video, the See, style. Have you read the piece I did for uh, what you call it for Wax Poetics on Michael Jackson? You would know my answer. Now he's gonna start. He's gonna sneak nah, a piece. He's he gonna sneak a piece in on you, Arthur. Supposed, right. Mm-hmm. Since he can't get a one A or B, right. he's gonna mm-hmm. slide a whole damn mm-hmm. article in here. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've already answered this question in writing. My answer's in there. So I just, I, so y'all, y'all can yeah, go. Yeah, for the benefit of our listeners who actually can't see us or read at <laughs> this point in time, can you repeat or at least break it down for us? <laughs> I will let Books it be on broke. tape. <laughs> hey, John, he's like, I'm not doing broke. the work for the listeners. They need to go find it. Yeah, go do your research. Oh, come right. on. Go, go to the back issue section. That's right. Oh, come on. It's not available anymore, right? I'm sure, I'm sure it's not available. I'm sure it's sold out. Uh, no, I, straight up, I, I said the voice. To the me, voice. It, it begins and ends with that. Everything else, it, it started there. <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> But that's you know that's that's basically what I said. It was it was the minute, the minute that he sang to Smokey Robinson and uh, Barry Gordy, mm-hmm. and he hit that note, and they just looked at each other. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that we've seen a lot of people try to imitate that and do a lot of things that Michael has done. But the one thing that nobody, I still have not heard anybody do and 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 be able to sustain was that voice. Never can say goodbye. No, 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 I never can't say goodbye. Even though the pain and heartache seem to follow me wherever I go. Though I try, I've tried to hide my feelings, they always say the show. Then you try to say you're leaving me, and I always have to say no. Tell me why is it so? That I never can say goodbye. No, 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 I never can say goodbye. Every time I think I've had enough, I start heading for the door. There's a very strange vibration to press and be right through the core. It's just turn around, you fool. You know you It was just so pure. That voice, it just right. had that purity. That was the pure, just, oh. Exactly. That's the purest thing. That, that, you know, that's why I think God kept his, you know, Quincy said he, God kept his hand on his shoulder. I think God kept his hand on his throat. 
<laughs> you know, very violent. Oh, it's quite an aggressive image. image. I, get it. <laughs> I get it now. So, is that is he the greatest pop vocalist of all time? Pop vocal. To me, without oh, question. Without question. Without question. Not even close. Without question. Without the close. But think about it. How do you and 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 and, and Jahan can? I think everybody here can lend itself to it. But I don't know Jahan will probably chime in on this. The fact that he was his voice was so special at so young. It, to me, he was it, the fact that he still could sing at a certain level as an adult almost makes it impossible. You're supposed to lose that. Yeah. And, and that goes to it's him. Supposed to change. You're supposed to better. change and lose it. You're it not got supposed to He got better. You're, that's not supposed to. Look at all the child. Now, I still have not heard a child sing like that. Not you, you and, know. And, and it's one thing, it's one thing to technically, it's one thing to have the technical ability, which is insane for a child to just supernaturally i was going to say naturally supernaturally have that ability have that technical ability across all of his bridges and all of his mix zones and everything i mean to, to just nail it the way he did but taking the technical ability aside to sing those lyrics convincingly to the point that you think i'm not listening to a 10 year old i'm to, i'm listening to someone who's had a relationship exactly. and has lost the love of their life right to actually give you like almost like a cinematic experience of of what they mean and what they've gone through and the pain and you know the emotions and unbelievable it's it's just not natural he broke the rules because to your point john you are supposed to experience things before you can sing about them like that you know what i'm saying Absolutely. it's like anybody else is like oh even marvin remember marvin didn't do vulnerable mm, correctly right, right. until late in his life because he hadn't experienced those things right now you know i'm the marvin head so i'm gonna say mike couldn't have sung that like that but i do i do agree with john he broke the rules because it's like you aren't supposed to sing got to be there at that age and make me feel it as a grown ass man. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. It made me feel it like to that that level. It's, it was unbelievable. And that's the one thing I think he did consistently. If, if you listen to Michael sing, he still sings every damn line. It's not like he's talking or taking a break. Well, as I like to say, Jahan, doing a Nas. <laughs> you know, since he sings mm -hmm. and did it from a kid to the time that he died, died. he sang every note. And I think there are times where he'd walk through dance steps. There are times, even though his inner, you know, his live shows are unbelievable. Yeah, he started he started repeating the same dance steps. Right, yeah. but, the but the singing, singing never, was yeah. always still did his own background vocals and his background. I mean, he layered. It was to me that's the centerpiece. That's the one thing in my mind. I agree that cannot. That, that trumps everything. Mm -hmm. And the incredible thing is that, I think, Scoop, you sent me this, actually. You sent me a Tavis Smiley clip of James Ingram. Right. James Ingram wrote PYT for, um, for Thriller. He, he actually apparently like, won a competition almost. Like Quincy sent the word out saying, right, we need a song. It's got to be called PYT, Pretty Young Thing. Did he, write, did he write both versions, Jay? He wrote the original version too? He wrote the original version. I'm not sure if he wrote the demo version that came out some years ago but um he wrote the version that's on the record they chose the song etc and he went in and he, you know he's doing backgrounds on that on that mm. track and so so he the, wrote the lyric ingram did yeah yeah ingram wrote wow it. he was in there while mike was recording the song and he said he'd never seen anyone go as hard as mike while he was singing he said mike was singing and doing all of mike's at that time signature dance moves in the booth while he was singing to the point <laughs> yeah. that and, you know, and, and, and James you know James Ingram is like arguably one of the greatest male vocalists of all time right mm. and he said that when he you know when he sings when he steps to the mic 
he, he's almost like zen-like. He conserves every single bit of energy just so he could put it on the microphone. And he saw Michael Jackson going crazy in the booth, just dancing and singing. Mike comes out and is like, did, you know, was that okay? Should I have been doing that? Was I, you know, w- did I do it right? And James Ingram was apparently like, Mike, you can sing it any way you want to sing it. You, you, <laughs> right, it. you right, nailed right. it. You killed it. You killed it. I think to follow up with that, I think one of the, the annoying things for me in the the '90s and the the uh, 2000, early 2000s, when you know the media was quickly always trying to you know put the mic crown on some other some younger um, black R&B star, they constantly ignored Mike's technical prowess as far as what he did in the studio mm-hmm. as a vocalist mm-hmm. and as a yeah, quote totally. unquote producer. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because you can read stories going back to when Mike was with the Jackson Five. And how when he was in the studio with the Motown producers, you know, driving them crazy because he was just asking questions. You know, mm-hmm. what is this? Why is this? Why'd you do that? Why'd you? Because he, you know, he was so into it. And his brothers would, you know, have to beg him, look, please stop asking questions so we can get through this song or whatever. Mike wanted to know everything, and that that built up his his knowledge. He was so, a student. He was a student. He was a student. He was a student. He was a and so student. when you hear these cats get compared to Mike, the, all they have to do is do one dance step mm-hmm. or get one hit, and it's like, you know, they get these Mike comparisons. Nobody has had that voice no like Mike. None of them. No, not even close. Male. And I'll say this: male or female. Yeah, yeah. Period. Yeah. Period. It was. It was like 1973 when his adult voice started to mature, and I think it was the Get It Together album. And you can hear, you know, the Michael Jackson that the whole world knows. You you can hear it come out mm. at that time, and you, you can hear the the just the timber and the tone of his voice just what and a the things he was able to do the thing it's not like his voice is basically the same from song to song he would do so many different things with his voice he would challenge his voice and, and his voice also and i think this is the the, the center well, not the centerpiece but but the the outside on this is that his voice also was an instrument so not just his singing but his like we said at the beginning the just, breath. The yeah right. the little breath the little Ad lib scats that he would do that was that was an instrument and he knew mm-hmm. his voice was so good that I don't have it I don't have to put a key here you don't have to hit a chord here we can do this my voice would take care of this outside of what I'm singing mine is is summed up by you know about a month or two ago I was driving and I was listening to uh, the Beyonce album and I had a friend of mine who's in her mid twenties and we were listening to the album and I was just talking about you know how just you know surprised I was by how good this Beyonce album was and she asked me she said well do you she said was it is it I think she asked me I don't think she said is it bigger than when Thriller dropped or is it on the same level as when Thriller dropped you, let it, you, you pulled over and let out the car time to go you know that was my first joke I said don't make me pull over <laughs> but you know I took a step back you know of course you have to say okay look trying to put myself in the, her context and I, you know not being around when Thriller dropped I started thinking okay what you know the effect of Mike, you know, and the generation that missed out on that effect. And that made me start thinking about what was it about Mike if I had to point one thing that made him who he was. And I just arrived at the conclusion, it's what I call the the inexplicable. What Mike had that made Mike special cannot be explained. It's 
the equivalent to me of um, you know writers, poets, filmmakers, artists of all kinds have been trying to describe love since the beginning of time. You know what is love? Writing poems, writing songs, right? Making movies about it. And it's one of those things where it's like the answer is in the journey. It's not in the destination. So it's basically the the there is no answer, but the experience is in the question. It's inexplicable, you know, love. What Mike had was the same thing. You can't describe, you really can't put it to somebody who didn't live it or who wasn't there to watch it to describe exactly what Mike had that made Mike. And I did. I went to The Voice. That was the first thing I actually went to. I was, you know, you got to listen to this dude sing. It's like there's no pop singer alive that's ever sang like this. But when I really thought about it, it's like, does that really touch exactly what made Mike Mike? And I had to answer is no, that's not it. Is it, but is, is, is what you say, is it it? Like, you know, people it's say, it. right, that's it. People say, I don't it. know what it is, what it is, but whatever it is, he has, he has it. it. Right. And this happens so rarely in human history, really. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mike had it. You can look at certain outside of artists. You can look at, you know. Uh, Nobody uh, transcended like this, though. Right. But you, I'm saying you can look at other iconic people and say, okay, they had it. And we really can't explain that magic that they had. But Mike had it. And as famous, as talented as some of these other, as famous as Prince is, Prince is a musical genius. You know, pr- pretty much to me, you can argue hired much more musical genius than Mike was. Mm-hmm. He didn't have, he does it. not have it. it. And Mike, Mike Ali, people like that are just touched with, they change history. You know what I'm saying? It's like they just, they land here, like we've always, we keep saying from another planet and they change things, you know, so dramatically that it's before and after them. So if I had to describe the one thing that, you know, makes Mike Mike, I can't describe it, you know, and, and I'll, I'm fine with that. You know what I'm saying? It's a magic. The one thing I did say, I said, well, you know, and I thought about this later, if you drive around the streets now, how many people, little kids do you see walking around and you can point to them and say, oh, they're dressed like Beyonce or they're dressed like so-and-so. You remember in 84, you could drive anywhere and say, he trying to be like Mike or he mm-hmm. trying to look like, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's like, you can see that transcendence, mm-hmm. like you said, of culture, of, you know, of everything. Yeah, and it was, you go beyond, as a kid, it was the same thing with me as a kid. Everybody wanted to be, be that Jackson dude. Five. You know what I'm saying? Everybody, everything. He had on a French suede coat, catch a rocking French, hats, afro, the, the Applejack hats, <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the pants are zipped up, the bell bottoms zipped up, anything Mike did, Mike, same thing. Mike Mike was was magic, and I think that that term, you know, we use that term, you know, too much now, or we've always used that term probably too much, but Mike was magic. You know, period. I think what my feeling is is closely aligned with what you just described, Isaac. And then, but the word I put on it was just his honesty. Mm. That Michael, he couldn't. That's what he did. He couldn't do anything else. Gonna make a change for once in my life. It's gonna feel real good. Gonna make a difference. Gonna make it right. As I turn up the collar, on my favorite winter coat. This wind is blowing my mind. I see the kids in the street, but not enough to eat. Who am I to be blind, pretending not to see them? Need? 
I mean, he could only sing the way that he sang. He, he couldn't, he, he never tried to sing like anybody else. You know, everything that he learned, he, you know, he learned and modified it and adapted it to what he did as opposed to adapted himself into, you know, what somebody else was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that honesty came in some ways as a, uh, as, as a fault. Like how you talk about, you know, Marvin was honest to a fault in his autobiography. I think Mike was, was, was honest to a fault in his dealings with other people from time to time. And, you know, and it got him in trouble in the, I mean, literally in court, but figuratively in the court of public opinion. But you know what? I think it's always been said that Mike, you know, fame ruined Mike. I don't agree that fame ruined Mike. I think the level of fame. Thank Mike. you. If Mike would have stayed as famous as he was around, say, off the wall, we would have got so much more great music. You know what I'm saying? I'm not to say not not saying I don't want Thriller to come out, but I'm just saying that level of fame. Because after Thriller, it was like it was done. You know what I'm saying? It was like he's well, he's what, Jesus. You but know what the, saying? but the mu- yeah, but, I agree. I'm saying the music wouldn't what made him famous. It was the advent of video that took him to a whole. Yeah, other I mean, there's yeah, all, yeah. yeah, there's all so, much yeah, factors. But yeah. I think though, if he would have stayed that level of fame as around off the wall, yeah. we would have got so much more great great music out of him. You know, because I just think he became so self-conscious. I mean, do you ever think Mike second-guessed himself? Absolutely. Yeah, just like Prince is doing right now. Because there's fame and then there's unbearable yeah, forensic scrutiny. Which only, which only a few from. people, t- to your point earlier, only a few people have experienced yeah. that type of thing. Yeah, in yeah, that, yeah absolutely. Yeah, so, well, and, and, and Mike and, is and one to of be, them. And to be fair, only a few people, that, you know, there's people who've experienced it, but they've experienced it Briefly. quickly. For a yeah. flash yeah. in the pan, you know, like Julian yeah. Assange, I'm sure people are pouring over everything that he's ever done, but it'll last and then it won't last. You know what I mean? It'll go on so long and no further. But Mike, I mean, it he experienced it for his life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't experience any. He can't remember anything else, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's that level of it's just unbearable that that pressure that that must bring that everybody is looking. And you know, if you've already got acne or if you've already not happy with you know, your hair or if you're already not happy with, I don't know, your eyelids, whatever the hell, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We all have insecurities, right? We all we all have moments where we look in the mirror and think, oh God, you know, that's not great, is it? God knows what that poor guy went through. If you're, if I ever hear anyone say, yeah, I, I want to be as famous as Michael Jackson was, yeah. I would think there's something wrong with you because yeah. no one wants, you should, no one should, no one should be that famous. Well, he, he no. made a point one time, he said as a kid, he was on an airplane and I forgot what some actress that was pretty big time at the time met him. And when she met him, she urinated on herself. And he's a kid. He's like 11 years old. And he's like, that's what I have to deal with. Wow. That's insane. You know what I'm saying? That's insane. That's insane. You have grown that's people not, that's meeting not, you. That's not and good. Losing. That's not happiness. Right. And, or, like, or, like, or like, look at the concerts. You have people, and this is crazy. This, to me, this is the craziest of all crazy. You have people that, whether it be any part of Europe or somewhere in Budapest or Africa, somewhere, Michael Jackson's having a concert. People start standing in line, all right, six days. And you all, this is not exaggeration. In line, they get six days, right, to get tickets to see this man. They get in there, and the minute he comes on stage, they, they pass out. <laughs> how, how do you deal Missed with that whole concert. Right, when that's your presence? <laughs> right. Like so Jahan said, rows. this is your life. Yeah, that's too much. That's, that's too, too much, much man. Yeah, you, don't ha- you, you, don't, you have you, no sense. You don't have a life. You don't have a life. You, you can't talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You can't talk to anybody. My pick was Scoop's pick. Uh, so it's like the first time in history that someone's chosen my selection. So um, I'm going to adjust it now. So I was thinking about cheating and saying, okay, background vocals, because they were so pure as well. And just they seem, unlike anybody else's background vocals, they they always seem like one vocal. Like it was just, it, 
you know, despite being multiple voices, it was still one voice. And it was just so slick, graceful and elegant. But um, in the interest of representing all facets of Mike, I'll say showman. He was the greatest showman on earth. He's the greatest showman that's ever lived. He was Barnum. And, he wanted to be Barnum and Bailey. He, you know, they should want to be him. Whether it was the dancing or whether it's the live vocals, whether it's the live show or the mystique, just the total package. If you've gone to a Michael Jackson concert, you know, you know what it is. And no amount of video can substitute for that. And you have to appreciate that at the time when he came out, no one was doing it at that level. Just the live dancing, the entire spectacle, the construction of the whole concert from start to finish, you know, the sequencing of the songs, the rehearsals, the fact that they were just so, so, so tight. He had elements of everybody. Dancing, James Brown, Madonna, none of them could touch it. None of them, even Prince. You can't take anything away from Mike. Michael's flawless, you know. In terms of circus ringleader, showman, he's... He was the greatest showman who's ever lived. I think he changed dancing at that time. When, oh, yeah. It was before and after yeah. Mike. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It was, and they still, mm. to this day, are emulating Michael Jackson. Yeah, they still, yeah. You oh, yeah. everything they do. He said it's... Yeah, it's like they're still doing his moves. You he know, and Michael 30 Peter, or 40 years. And it's, yeah. it's almost Peter become... Yeah. I mean, he is the... he In terms of dancing, without question, he's the benchmark. Yeah. And he's the... You know, that's, that's what you've got to beat, per se. And you know, no one can ever beat it. But that's what you've got to come close to. And it's almost... It's interesting because... Justin Timberlake, Usher, um, Chris Brown, Marion, yeah, Chris, Chris Brown, Brown Marquise Houston, they're all very, very openly evaluated by how well they can dance in comparison to Mike. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. They're never discussed on their own merits, on their own. It's always as a footnote to the greatness that was Michael Jackson, to the benchmark that was Michael Jackson. Uh, it's funny, John, because when I, when, when I said voice and you said damn, I, 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 I was... Half the time I'm listening and having this conversation, I'm thinking in my mind, all right, is Jahan just going to agree with me or is he going to come with something deeper? Uh-huh. And, and what I thought, and I, I, I wrote it down, I thought, because I Arthur said honesty, and I was like, oh, that's deep. And I said, I know what Jahan's going to go with this. And you fell short of going there because you said showmanship. I thought you were going to actually say his imagination mm-hmm. and then incorporate everything you just said. Because the one thing Michael had was that he thought Vision. of things because of his talent yeah. that still yeah. nobody else could do. Agreed. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, all the stuff that he did in shows, all the stuff Jahan said, that's coming from his imagination. Where yeah, no other artist can do that completely. because they can't, his vision is amazing. Like, no, we can do that. And the people that he's telling can do it, like, well, that's never been done before. But in Mike's mind, like, no, I can think it, I can do it. And that's what I thought. I thought Jahan was going to go, like, no, his and, imagination. And you knew that he didn't just show up. You, you know, if you watch exactly. the, if you watch the This Is It film, yeah. he's, you know, he's present every step of the way and he's the director. He, you know, he's yeah. the producer, the director all rolled into one. He's the one saying, know this, know that, change this, change that. He was the benchmark, definitely. You know, um, really quick, uh, the uh, going back to that first topic of those, you know, the Holy Trinity. I think what Mike and Prince did more so than Madonna, because Madonna switched almost every album. Mike and Prince built a world. You know that you could very easily identify 
you know what I'm saying? And for Prince, it was the, the purple, you know, whatever, you know, and it's like it kind of lasted for like six or seven albums where even though he changed, you know, the kind of the look and everything, the aesthetic changed, there were certain things that were like hallmarks of, you know, Princeology, if you will. Mm-hmm. And Mike kind of created that same thing where it was like by the time you get to Captain EO and all this other stuff, even though it was really like Disney'd out, it was Mike. It was mm-hmm. Mike's mythology. It was Mike's, you know, world and you entering into his imagination, you know, and, uh, I think that's that's something you can't do unless you have that level of imagination. You can't construct an entire world for your fans to to partake in. But it's just everything. The risk that he, I mean, just from, like I said, his it, the moves that he would create dancing, his imagination to do stuff in dance, the imagination he would use vocally. Like, there wasn't a song you couldn't give him that he didn't think he could tackle. Like, no, nah, this out of my range. No, I, can, no I'll, I, I can do it. His presentation, the clothes, you know, the style aesthetic that he just came up with, even though it was... The military thing, which right. there's been a lot written about, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Everybody, you know, everybody's dived kind of into his brain and try to figure out mm-hmm. why, because that military aesthetic lasted his entire adulthood, basically. Yeah. I just thought of something, because when you mentioned uh, Madonna as being a part of the Holy Trinity, I was about to ask, you know, at, at what point, even though it came later on at that time, should uh, Janet Jackson be a part of this conversation? Mm. Well, I think, now, I think I just, when, we say, when we say Prince, Madonna, Mike, I think what we're saying is holy trinity of superstardom, right? In music. Yeah, in the 80s. At that time. Janet hadn't reached out? I don't think no, she reached not, it in not the not 80s during that time. She like came that. after that. No, she no, was no, more no, 90s. No. I, my question was Bruce Springsteen. I think should Bruce be in that conversation? Yeah, I was going to say Bruce is the only one who could. Yeah, Bruce. And I said Bruce would be mad about this. Mad. Yeah, Bruce might be mad, but I don't think Bruce transcended in the way that those three did. Yeah, I don't think so either. Because Bruce did hit black households. That's the interesting thing. You're right. You're right. Because for working class you know, cops in New Jersey. Yeah, Bruce is Michael Jackson, but for no one else. Right, but he had built that in the 70s. Born yeah, to Run, Darkest on, uh, on the Edge of Town. and um, He became global with the born, you know, born in the USA, took yeah, but, him to no, a global but, 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 yeah, but not after the river. That's it. Yeah. Or that album, that's it. He wasn't, beyond that, he wasn't global. You know, nothing else in his career kept him at that level. Right, okay, good point. But basically, it's that transcendental quality that sets Mike apart from everybody else. And Scoop, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you felt Mike's imagination was one of his most defining characteristics. For a while there, we couldn't keep up with Mike's imagination. There'll never be another like him. This has been episode 28 of the Music Snobs podcast, and we thank you for joining us. You can find us online at themusicsnobs.com. Our Twitter handle is Total Music Snobs. We have a Facebook presence, uh, facebook.com slash themusicsnobs. Our show library streams at SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash themusicsnobs. Our In The Mix series is over at mixcloud.com slash themusicsnobs, featuring mixes by myself, Jahan, and our good friend DJ Ali Al has released an odd future mixtape. And we've got one coming up from Mr. Monotone. Thank you again, everybody. We'll see you at show 29.